0: You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan
1: Feldman. He is a community activist and he is a tour guide. I actually have friends who have been on his tours and um, they say that he's an energetic, fun tour guide who does not ignore... He is very inclusive and explains all different sides of the conflict. But before we get into the conflict, we're going to ask Noor all about his experience growing up, what his culture is about. We don't want to jump too quickly into anything conflicts-related because we just really want to have a mutual understanding of what the Palestinian community looks like. Noor is involved with Roots Sharashim. It's a unique grassroots network of local Palestinians and Israelis who, come, who have come to see each other as partners. The work is aimed at challenging the new assumptions of these two communities that each has about the other, building trust, and creating new discourse around conflict in their respective societies. He organizes joint Palestinian-Israeli activities and speaks to visiting groups about his personal experiences living through the conflict as a Palestinian. Nora's family moved from Amman, Jordan, to Beit Sahour, following the signing of the Oslo Accords. In 2014, Noor was licensed by the Palestinian Ministry of Tourism. He resides in Bethlehem today, where he guides English speakers on geopolitical tours of the region. And that's very exciting to be backed by the Palestinian Authority, Noor. So that's very exciting. Um, Noor, why don't you come on and give us a little bit of an overview of um, who you are. Tell us how many brothers and sisters you have, what your move was like. Get us kicked off on on the story of your life.
0: Thank you, Shana. Thank you for uh, the introduction. Um, Good evening, everyone. Uh, Good morning or good afternoon. Um, So my name is Noor, I live in Bethlehem. I hope that this conversation we will have will be uh, um, like a good one. Uh, I will talk a little bit about my background, uh, my personal story, and then uh, uh, I will be interested to hear your questions. I hope that I can answer um, uh, your questions about the situation, about my society, and also anything related to the, to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So I am today, I'm 30 years old, uh, almost, actually I'm 20, 29 and a half, in June I'll be 30 years and um, he was born in Amman in Jordan for a Palestinian family Uh, both of my parents lived there for a while Uh, my story of course goes back before that Um, I mean in a way my story starts somehow in 1948 because my family back then in 1948 they didn't live in uh, what we call today the West Bank they didn't live in Bethlehem they, My family uh, on both sides are originally from the Jerusalem area, and they used to live in southwest of Jerusalem in a small village. Today, one of the areas or the neighborhoods of Jerusalem, Malha. So my grandparents came from Malha, and in, uh, in 1948, during the Israeli-Arab War, they found themselves on the front lines of the, of the, of the battles of the, of the war. And their uh, village was a very play- was a very dangerous place for them to stay there. So my grandparents um, had to leave their village. Uh, so that's how it's connected to 1948. They end up in a refugee camp. My parents were born in Bethlehem, um, and today I live in Bethlehem. Uh, both of my parents are here. Um, I have um, four siblings: three brothers and um, one sister uh my younger uh brothers are in university uh they are in the university here in Bethlehem and in Hebron um my my second brother is married uh, and he has a kid now um my sister is also she actually she's in the second year now of in in university in uh, in Hebron university She's she's studying uh in uh, interior uh, uh, decoration um And both of my brothers are now trying to, you know, get out for like, you know, uh, for the, like, you know, the working field, getting, trying to get like uh, decent jobs, uh, you know, improve their lives, move on with their like building a future. Um, This year actually, you know, has been very difficult. It interrupted everyone's, you know, plans. Uh, I work as a tour guide. Uh, I worked as a tour guide mostly until last March when the pandemic started, um, and like most of tour guides in Israel and Palestine, um, we lost, you know, our job. Um, but I had been, I had also the opportunity to do some like virtual tours on Zoom and, and to speak to groups. Um, Sometimes groups that basically want to want want to have like a tour uh, or want to have a discussion on a certain uh, on a certain issue. Um, so this is this is where I am today in general, and uh, I'll go now uh, more in details on my personal story and um, how it affected um, you know how I grew up and how it affected uh, me and and where I am today. Uh, so as I started saying. I wasn't born here. I was born in in Jordan in 1991. And I mentioned already that my family goes back to Jerusalem from 1948. And that's very uh, important and important in how my story actually developed uh, later. Uh, My grandparents, as I said, had to leave their village in 1948. Uh, Their village was taken uh, and became on the Israeli side. Uh, my, my family ended up in a refugee camp in, in Bethlehem area. Uh, they thought at the beginning this would be like a short time, and then they will have like they would know, go back to their village, but that didn't happen. The last ceasefire agreement between Jordan and Israel in in, 1940, in 1949 basically established a ceasefire line. So west of that line, now that, that's Israel, that's the state of Israel and east of it. It's the, the ruled, uh, the Jordanian ruled West Bank. Uh, so my family ended up staying in a refugee camp here in, in the West Bank in Bethlehem area. Uh, and their village on the other side of that line where they are not allowed to, to go back to it. My grandfather didn't want to stay in a refugee camp. So he left the refugee camp. He took his you know his kids, uh, my uncles. He took his, uh, you know, my, my grandmother. And they left the refugee camp and they uh, moved to... Uh, uh, to a house in the in the little town of Bethlehem uh, and since then my family still lived at the same house um, my grandparents lived in that house my my parents are actually still living in the same house from 1950 1950 1951 um, now both of my parents were born here in Bethlehem my mother actually uh, she she was trained to become an nurse in uh, in 1980s Uh, in 1986-87 and that was like the years when another like chapter of the of the conflict the the first intifada the first palestinian uprising started and she was a nurse in a in a hospital in east jerusalem my father on the other hand um, he didn't want to stay in the country he saw that there he basically didn't see if there is a future for him to stay here and it was um, very common at that time that young people from my society, uh, from my people here would uh, tend to leave the country to go to different places, different countries, find a better life and a better future for them. So my father wanted to actually go to Europe and on the way he stopped in Amman for a while, but then he ended up staying there and my, my mother actually uh, went to Jordan. Uh, they got married and that's, that's how I was born here. In 1995, the Oslo peace process, you know, that was already signed, and now we are two years in the process, my family felt very uh, optimistic, uh, very, um, I can say, uh, hopeful, because it's the first time in their lives, I mean, in my parents' lives, uh, they hear instead of wars and occupation and and, and conflicts, now there is a peace agreement, and everyone is talking about, you know, what... Uh, what the future the soon future will be uh, the occupation will end, and soon there will be a Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza. and so both of my parents felt very actually um, uh, as I said, very optimistic to uh, come back and to reestablish a life for us here now my my parents could actually move back from Jordan because they were they were born in the West Bank, they were born uh, here. So that's how we moved back from Jordan uh, in 1995 to to Bethlehem in the West Bank. We lived in Beit Sahor, a small town uh, next to Bethlehem. And let me say that uh, the way how I remember, you know, when I was like seven years old, eight years old kid in the end of 1990s, the way how I remember things, uh, I didn't remember so much of the conflict. I didn't remember, I don't remember so much of the occupation. Not because it wasn't there, but because it, it was a different time. Uh, I remember mostly that my father, you know, was was working in Jerusalem. And he used to go to his work uh, easily. Um, sometimes he could actually drive his car from Bethlehem to his work in Jerusalem. And sometimes he took me with him. Uh, as a family, at the weekend, sometimes we might also go to the beach. We go to Yaffa, Tel Aviv, we go uh, travel, like we go to the North, we go around the country. So I experienced movement or the way how I moved around, I didn't really felt, uh, it's, um, it's like, uh, I didn't feel like the conflict. It was a normal life, a normal situation for me. But soon that changed. I mean, the year 2000 came, the peace process came to a dead end and it uh, created like a very complicated situation on the ground. It's, uh, it got stuck in the middle without, without like a, a, a solution. And vi- violence started, and it led to the Second Palestinian Uprising. The Second Palestinian uh, Intifada, that was a very violent time, and I'm sure it affected you know, everyone in this country. But if I want to talk about the effect of the Intifada on me personally and also my generation, I'll say that uh, all of a sudden now, I'm like living the reality. You know, I'm living what's happening here. And I'm, adapt, I'm trying to adapt to this in new reality. My family was involved in the Second Intifada in a way or another. Some of my cousins were part of the security members of the Palestinian Authority. Some of them were uh, members of the, of, the, of the militant movements or the political movements like Fatah and Hamas and the Tanzim and others. And, um, you know, not only that, uh, at some point the city of Bethlehem was invaded So by the Israeli military. So there was no schools. For uh, a couple of weeks and months, uh, curfews outside. It was dangerous to go outside. You know, you hear we hear in the news: the bomb, suiciding attacks, also in Jerusalem and in Tel Aviv and uh, different places. And so, this is the new reality that you know I'm talking about: uh, the reality of a conflict. And at the same time, I start to learn more about myself, who I am. Uh, living here, uh, what does it mean to be a Palestinian? Why I'm living in this situation? Uh, why I'm finding myself in this situation? And uh, so the years of the Intifada affected a lot the way how I grew up, my experience, um, when it comes also to the question of a national identity, a national struggle, uh, all of that. And by the end of the Intifada, I can say that I struggled with like two ideas. Um, um, so basically, the father ended, and I start to think. You know, I look around, and I realize that I'm living an abnormal situation here. So when I when I look at that, and I, when I look when I we are in the age of the internet. So when I look like uh, around me, and I see that other people in the world they might be living uh, uh, in a different situation, worse situations, but many other people in the world do not live the same situation that I do here. So why why is that? And how can I have a normal life? Or the question actually was for me, will I ever have a normal life here in Palestine in this situation? The answer back then for me was, it seems like not. I'm not going to have a normal life as long as I'm living here. So I start to think uh, in a way similar to what my father thought in the 80s, which that I cannot have a normal life here. So therefore, I will just run away, you know. Uh, choose a different country, choose a different place where I can have a better future and a, and a, and a stable life so that 's one way of thinking and it 's not only me thinking this way, I think I do represent a good amount of my generation thinking this way. I already see that there are like several questions in the we 're going to
1: take the questions at the end the The questions so, from the audience yeah. we're going to save time for the end. Um, we do want to get into the, um, your experience politically, but before we do that, I would like for you to share a little bit with us about um, what is Palestinian society like in the West Bank? What are some cultural things that might surprise Jews? What are some um, traditions? What is life like on a day-to-day could you paint us a little bit of what your family dynamic is like, your neighborhood dynamic for us, so that you know we don't know what life is like in the West Bank for non-Jews. So if you could share some of that before we get political, that would be excellent.
0: Yes, sure. I mean, like one of the the, the first ideas that comes to my mind, I think that many Jews, Israelis, and maybe uh, non-Israelis, they see the Palestinian society. Um, as like, um, you know, mostly when I hear like the Israeli news, when I read the Israeli news, they refer to Palestinian uh, cities, sometimes like villages. Uh, they, they refer to the Palestinian society as a village society or as a tribal society. And they still see that the Palestinian society is still uh, in large a tribal society, which means that the loyalty of, of the individual is to the tribe, to the larger family, which is to, to a certain extent, I can say it's true, but it's not, it's not really showing um, the whole picture. It's not showing uh, you know uh, the reality because at the same time, there is this and that, yes, there is like the powerful connections of, of the family. Uh, but not all families are today like large, and not all families you know are part of the tribes, and not all families actually are. Uh, you know, exercising this old tradition of being being, uh, a part of a tribe. I can even say there is a difference between south and north of the West Bank. And here south would mean uh, from Jerusalem and southward, like until Hebron, where you can feel that the old tradition, uh, the uh, traditions uh, concerning tribes and families are still much more, like people are still holding on it, on it much more than in the north in cities like Nablus, Shem, or Ingenin, where it, these kind of connections, uh, tribal and large family connections, doesn't really exist uh, uh, that much anymore. Um, for, exa- for example, like if you go to a city like Ramallah, where it is actually a concept of a city, because in Bethlehem, Bethlehem is a small city. Uh, where like almost everyone knows everyone and you know like these families and uh, people but in Ramallah you have a mix of people coming from outside of Ramallah many people actually in Ramallah are from outside, of, they're coming from outside of Ramallah and that's, um, uh, that's for example one idea um, that I, I think that Israelis, Israeli Jews and Jews maybe don't really see in the Palestinian society but they still see the classic picture of an Arab uh, tribal society, uh, but they don't really see the, the developments or the changes inside of the society today.
1: Thank you for sharing that with us. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the family structure, whether religious, secular, um, education? Um, what can we imagine the family dynamics to be like are there all different types of Palestinians throughout the religious sector is that respected is that to be hidden if you're not observant or observant can you tell us a bit about that
0: yeah sure I mean um to understand this topic uh, terminology is important here but at the same time uh, you know when we talk about uh, you know when we talk about like religious and conservative and sometimes these this terminology is not exactly describing the situation so i'll try to describe it as best as as best as i can i think that uh the largest part of my society is uh traditionally conservative i can say 60 percent of the people are traditional and conservative and religious to a certain extent meaning that religion for them is uh, part of the tradition. It's part of what they inherited from, like, uh, from their parents and from grandparents' generation, and uh, and they follow it. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that. Uh, so you would see that like people are not like too religious, and actually, if you if you talk to someone uh, to an average Palestinian uh who practice uh, or like uh keep certain amount of like religion and if you tell this guy or this woman or if you t- tell them that you are religious you are like being religious they usually say no they are not really they don't see themselves as religious people but they are like uh keeping uh certain like amount of the religion they are following it so i i would mostly the way how i describe the society is traditional conservative that's that's what I would like maybe to that's how I can like describe the society
1: what are some of the traditions or religious things that uh, come up on a day to day that we can learn about from Palestinian society
0: um, I mean there there are always like um, issues like of you know social issues like um, when it comes to uh, for example like Uh, family issues like relationship uh, between a man and a woman uh, the relationship between like uh, parents and their their children Um, these like discussions that's you know that's uh, that happens um, for example Um, I'm not like I'm not sure of what if can you like give me an example of what like
1: sure so, like yeah. Sure. For example, um, w- we could say that before eating bread, Jews wash their hands with water three times on the right, three times on the left. That's a mm-hmm. tradition that any most yeah. Jews know about. Or, yeah. um, you know, can you can you give us some of the religious or traditions that you might do? A Palestinian might do on a day to day basis, something like that.
0: So that's exact. So okay, thank you. So that's actually something to clarify what I was talking about before. So in in the Muslim uh, tradition and in Islam, for example, there would be a saying like a prayer that you usually say before you eat a meal, before you have a meal, right? Uh, but most people don't really most people don't really follow this uh, this tradition, except in certain like uh, holidays, for example, or occasions, like in Ramadan. Uh, people would tend to do these, like these, these, these things, but for the rest of the year, uh, people don't necessarily do it, and that's what I meant by when I described the way how people practice religion. They are not necessarily like they are not, you know, strictly religious and follow every single rule, uh, but they keep it as a tradition in general. And there are times in the year where people follow these types of a tradition, like for example, saying this this prayer. Um, also, you talked about you mentioned before. Like, uh, I, I was trying to describe how this is like the society makeup. Uh, so I I say this is in my opinion that sixty percent of of my society would would fall into the category of like traditional conservative religious. That's that's how I I see them. And then the forty percent would fall into a category of I will call it like uh, modern liberal uh trying to be free from all the traditions that's that's how i can like see the and and uh, there is like levels to how uh to how liberal they are how modern they are because there are like also subgroups in these in this like in this community like in this like second second part um yeah that's um
1: Okay. So there is nothing that you would say is specifically Palestinian in terms of traditions, whatever um, is goes in Islam. If you're practicing, you do it. And if you're not practicing, you don't do it. Or would you say that there is any um, something special that the Palestinian group of people do um, traditionally that might be different from any other Arab group around the world?
0: no of course of course there are there are things uh that Palestinians would do uh that would be different from other arab countries um uh, when you come to the when you come to the food for example or dressing or if you go to the like more these details like you will always find like uh like different details uh from like other arab like nations And like each area, for example, like if we are talking about, let's say we are talking about like the the traditional dresses, for example, like the women dresses in the old times. Uh, Of course, it's hard to see anyone now like wearing these dresses except in weddings or in um, um, engagement parties. Sometimes um, uh, the girl would choose to actually wear like these old traditional uh, like uh, clothes or dresses so these addresses, for example, was specific to each area. You can actually say where this woman or this uh, young lady is from from just look, looking at her dress and the embroidery uh, at her dress. That's like very famous on the Palestinian in the Palestinian culture, for example. Uh, like Bethlehem here was very uh, famous with a uh, and still. With uh, with a traditional dress, where women actually used to have a hat on top of it, with certain light like, decoration um, uh, and a scarf that coming down from it, and uh, it used to be everyone, you know, wearing wearing it. Every, all women, Christian, Muslim women, uh, they used to wear the same the same uh, dress. So you could actually say that this woman is from Bethlehem because she's wearing the, the Bethlehem dress. But that was like long time ago as i said like mostly today people don't wear these dresses except in the, uh, in, in occasions um when it comes to um when it comes to um uh, music there is a distinct palestinian uh music um there is the palestinian flu or like the the, the shababa we call it in arabic which is like a two pipe flu and it has like a, there is a certain uh a melody usually that's connected to the Palestinian uh, identity. And um, the one who usually plays the flu used to be a shepherd uh, outside with his cattle, you know, uh, you know herding his uh, sheep. Uh, and that's like that's the that's the picture of it. And then, of course, later with like within within the national conflict, that picture became like part of the uh, like showing Palestinian identity, showing you know Palestinian culture. Some of these like old songs were made into like national ones, using the same uh, uh, the same instrument and using the uh, um, the melodies from from that instrument. So there there are specific yeah. If you go to details, then there are specific things that differentiate it from other like uh, other Arab uh, countries.
1: That was so beautiful, Thank you for sharing that and drawing those images for us in our minds about the flute and the music and the dress it's it's um, I think questions that a lot of Israelis have because they don't have an opportunity to meet with or understand the culture of the people that live right next door literally so um, that's very beautiful. Thank you for sharing that now what i I want to understand is. What is the main concern for Palestinians today? Would you say that the it's that the political sphere is dominated with questions of conflict regarding Israel with internal pal- Palestinian conflicts and pol- uh, politics or would you say that the average person is concerned with their day-to-day life, earning a living, making their way to work, providing for their family? Um, because I think that from an outside perspective, each group thinks of the other, that all the other group is doing all day is thinking about the conflict. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Uh,
0: I, can, I can say that, yes, like most people here uh, in my society are not really uh, thinking every day about the conflict and about like, about like the, the whole, you know, the conflict situation and what's happening, but more about like their daily life um in both the positive side of it and the negative side of it that's that's my personal opinion i'm I'm sharing with you here and i mean by both positive and negative so the positive side is that despite the challenges and despite the abnormal situation that i'm trying to i tried to explain before in my personal story people are trying to live their life trying to move on trying to find you know success so that's, uh, uh, and I see, I, I see like live examples of this every day. This is like most people are trying to improve their lives to make sure that they, uh, to, to have a better job, to have a better income and to make sure that their kids in the future will have like a better uh, opportunities. That's where most people are focusing on. The negative side of focusing on day-to-day issues in my point of view is also the lack of focusing on important uh, issues regarding the conflict or regarding the Palestinian situation that will affect our future um, uh, as a nation. It will affect us uh, together. Uh, for example, the question of... Uh, basically, the question of citizenship. You know, as living under the Palestinian Authority, uh, the Palestinian Authority is not a state. And at the same, it's this self-autonomy. It's like uh, it's governing us. And the question of democracy, the question of uh, how do we choose our leaders, the question of the division between Fatah movement and Hamas, and the question of Um, elections—you know, for 16 years there are there is no elections. But at the same time, people don't really feel that these elections are going to change anything if it happens. So people stopped. I think, in my opinion, people stopped thinking about these questions and trying to take decisions and to improve their understanding of, 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 of the larger picture. By focusing on their uh, life, uh, day-to-day life, and 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 uh, personal issues, um, so that's that's how I uh, that's how I see it. Um, I and this is, I think, if I want to go further into analysis, which is like maybe many Palestinians wouldn't share this, wouldn't uh, admit it, but it, I think it's part of a victimhood mentality, of a victimhood narrative that we. Uh, have and we believe in and we have been practicing for a long time because we are victims at the end of the day of this conflict, and we live under the occupation so but this victimhood mentality uh, reached to a place where people sometimes are unable to take responsibility uh, to, to determine uh, to determine, determine their future uh, when they have a chance to uh, many people for example would argue that the elections on the Palestinian authority side has no meaning at all because at the end of the day, the one who controls the, uh, you know, the situation is the Israeli military and the Israeli government. So uh, from this point of view that we, we cannot really change anything or we cannot affect the situation. And I think this is like a victim mentality, even though there are, uh, there is a good point uh, to talk about like here and like how basically, you know, life, How life is functioning and the dynamic of life and how the occupation is affecting us but we still have a role to play as a a civil society and that's that's many people uh, in my society don't really I think understand or agree on.
1: Thank you for sharing that Um, it's very important to think about and definitely if you're someone who wants to mobilize it may be a little frustrating. As a Palestinian who moved from Jordan to the West Bank, do you feel that um, you view the Palestinians as one of these people, both of these people, culturally, politically, and um, how do Jordanian Palestinians view themselves and their own identity?
0: So the, um, the basic understanding of our national identity is that we are all the same people. We are all connected to this land. This is our homeland. Uh, we don't feel like our connection to Jordan is, is not connection to a homeland or it's not connection to a land as much as it's part of this, you know, it's another Arab nation. We have a long history back that goes back together. And, uh, uh, you know, many people have the, just the simple idea that these borders between us, you know, these were uh, borders that are drawn by Westerners, by, by the French and uh, the, the British, by the colonial powers. So in, in in the old times there was no borders and uh, and the Palestinians and the Jordanians have a very special relationship that goes back in the history uh, even like uh, families uh, like marriage and in, like intermarriage and families moving on one side or the other uh, that's that's like that's how that's how most Palestinians like see the relationship with Jordan but when it comes to the national identity our our relationship to Jordan was not all the time beautiful. It was not all the time good. Uh, It had also negative impact on us. Now, I, for example, wouldn't call myself a Jordanian-Palestinian or a Palestinian-Jordanian, even though I was born in Jordan. I lived there for five years. I have a birth certificate that I was, you know, born there, of course. But, uh, for example... um, I cannot become a Jordanian citizen. I cannot carry a Jordanian passport. If I want to get a Jordanian passport, there is a special category for Palestinians like me who will get something called a temporary Jordanian passport, which is I will never get like there is no legal way to get citizenship in Jordan. And at the same time, I don't want that. And I think many, most of the Palestinians, the majority of Palestinians don't want to get Jordanian citizenship. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking about people in my case, for example, because I, I think there is like it get mixed here for Israelis and for Jews. Uh, how many Palestinians there are in, in, in Jordan? And I always hear the claim that 70 percent of Jordan population are Palestinians. And I didn't really understood where that came from. How people do talk about like which which figure, because if we are talking About the Palestinians in Jordan, according to the United Nations from 1948 and according to the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, that registered all Palestinians uh, since it was established in the 60s until now. So there is today 3 million Palestinians in Jordan. The Jordan population is 10 million. Uh, So we make up to 30 percent of Jordan population. Some of us, uh, a a minority has Jordanian citizenship. They managed to get a Jordanian citizenship between the years of 1948 and 1967, and a little bit in the 70s after 1967. But most of Palestinians are still stick there with, uh, stuck there with a, with a refugee status and refugee camps, and they have no way to get a Jordanian citizenship. And most of them, they don't want a Jordanian citizenship because they are afraid if they get a Jordanian citizenship, they will lose their right to, to their homeland, to Palestine. So that's, that's how it is. And uh, when I mention, for example, like these numbers, I, I do understand that, like, for example, sometimes people might discuss, like take what I just said, that, you know, in the old times before borders, you know, there are families that moved and like people who got married here on this side or the other side. And so who's really a Jordanian, who's really a Palestinian. But, um, you know, before the borders, you know, the entire region was like this. People moved from Lebanon or moved from Syria or Iraq. and. Uh, that doesn't make them today less Palestinians or more Jordanian or vice versa. So that's, that's how I see it. And if in my society, I am not looked at as a Palestinian Jordanian or Jordanian-Palestinian. That's not how my society sees me. If I want to describe how the society sees me, they will see me as Palestinian, uh, a Palestinian who's a descendant of a refugee from 1948. Because not at the end of the day, not all Palestinians, most of Palestinians have their ancestors in 1948 had to move, but not all Palestinians. For example, like in Bethlehem, uh, some or most of my friends, I can say, they don't have their, their ancestors had lived in Bethlehem in 1948. They weren't really affected by, by like, you know, the moving. And so their grandparents are not refugees like my grandparents. So that's how people will, for example, like, uh, distinct me in a way, saying that I'm a Palestinian who who has a refugee uh, background.
1: Okay, thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, You did touch a little bit on this before, but I want to finish off with my questions before we open up to the crowd asking what would you say is the most common political outlook in the West Bank from Palestinians? Do Palestinians in Area A feel that they have some form of self-governance? And um, what do you see as the future of the Palestinian state, including Gaza? Do you foresee unity between Gaza and the West Bank? What's that? um, What's that common thought?
0: So to answer, you know, the first part of the question, uh, the first question is, uh, I think that to a certain extent, I can say yes, like Palestinians feel that they have, you know, since the Palestinian Authority was established, we are under the Palestinian Authority. Yes, technically, at the same time, we are under the Israeli military control. We are under the Israeli military law and the Israeli occupation and all of that. But we are also at the same time under a Palestinian Authority. And Palestinian Authority decisions if affect us directly and so that's that's uh, that's how it is but today uh most of the young generation and most of the people i can say don't feel that we have any uh sovereignty over the land when it comes to who's sovereign at the end of the day you know israeli military enters area A. uh palestinian security forces uh at the same time are limited in where they can uh you know where they can operate and uh just this simple fact shows every Palestinian that we have no sovereignty um and that's that's how most palestinians think about the question of i think that's how most, most palestinians think about like the, the the issue of sovereignty and how like the controlling of, uh, of of the west bank and area a especially um also there was you know if we talk about like the areas area a b and c um, these like um in, in a way like people don't t- take uh the d- different areas as borders i mean there was supposed to be a two-state solution and there was so, supposed to be a palestinian state and the palestinian state would was should uh, or should be on most of the west bank uh but like with because two-state solution never happened and you know we have no control over area c and so people are like seeing. Like the effect of the of the occupation uh, more than there is like really a control for palestinian authority um, I'll, I'll be saying something that maybe will uh, uh, maybe piss off some palestinians but for example we have we celebrate uh, independence which is on the 15 on the, on the on the 15th of november each year and the independence was like declared in 1988 by the PLO, by Yasser Arafat, when he was in Tunisia, but in reality, most of the Palestinians find this like being the most, uh, um, you know, funny holiday because we are celebrating something that doesn't exist. Uh, it's like sarcastic. People take it in a very sarcastic way uh, that we celebrate independence, uh, but we are not independent at the same time. Now, for the for the second for the second question, the relationship with Gaza. Uh, people need to, like people from outside have to understand this that palestinians in the west bank palestinians in gaza we are the same people there are families who are living here and families who are living there um, there are husbands and wives on both sides there are like all of kind of relationships we are the same people the problem is with a political division between political leaders and political powers, and here this will be uh, Fatah movement and Hamas, and the question of uh, the question of the Palestinian Authority and the elections. So recently, just this uh, in the past two days, there are, there have been like a serious development on, on this on this topic, where Hamas finally agreed to conduct elections in Gaza and the West Bank. And so now uh, the uh, uh, the uh, elections commission or committee will choose like a date. It will be mostly uh, May uh, next May, May twenty twenty one. we'll see yet. It's not uh, yet official, but it seems that there there are going to be uh, elections finally. And the elections will basically means that there is unity uh, on the political level officially now between Gaza and and. Uh, and the West Bank, if that happened. But at the same time, we cannot ignore the uh, physical disconnection. Uh, there is an entire generation that grew up here, never made it to Gaza. I, I, I was never in my life in Gaza. Uh, I can't go there as a Palestinian from the West Bank. And all of Gazans, most of Gazans, 99.9% of them can't also come to the West Bank uh, the only way that they get outside, some Gazans get outside of uh, Gaza, is that when they have a chance to be treated in a hospital in East Jerusalem, and so that's how they make it to uh, the to East Jerusalem and to the West Bank. Um, I hope. I'm I'm not sure if I you know I hope it I hope that uh, this last talk about elections will be serious, and I hope it will lead to a democratic process. Um... I'm basing my hope because uh, you know the Palestinian Authority is also in front of a of a, of a challenge. Uh, Palestinian uh, leadership for a long time was divided, and it must understand that this division is actually uh, destroying our situation. It's it's impacting our situation in a, in a in a very bad way. So we have to we have to conduct these elections. We have to come together, and we have to accept the result of the of the elections. And I hope that it will be a smooth, democratic uh, process.
1: Excellent. Uh, We hope so as well. I would like to open the floor to questions. Now, I want you to keep in mind that we have a lot of questions to get to. So if you can try to keep your answer to each one, I would say about a minute or two so that we can get through all of them. That would be excellent because I do want everyone to get their question answered. I am going to start right from the top in our Zoom, and then I will get to the questions that we also have on Facebook Live. So we have a lot of people viewing right now. Um, From Joseph Flashner, how do you feel about the fact that Jordan, whose majority is Palestinian, although you squashed that uh, myth before and let us know that three out of every 10 uh, Jordanians are Palestinian. How do you feel that Palestinians are not treated equally as Jordanian citizens? What's your personal belief?
0: So I feel this is a, uh, this is a form of discrimination against us as Palestinians. But I cannot at the same time ignore the fact that the vast majority of Palestinians in those refugee camps, and there are surveys and statistics about that, they are still basically showing that. They, have, they, they are holding into their identity and they don't want uh, the relocation to be enforced on them, meaning that to get equal rights and to get citizenship, they have to forget about their homeland or their, ret- their right of return. So that's, that's how I see it.
1: Thank you. Um, next question. Do you feel that the Abraham Accords distance a future Palestinian-Israeli conflict? Uh, I assume that this, that Roni means, puts a distance to a future Palestinian-Israeli resolution?
0: I think it, again, uh, the the negative impact, I, I, I think I have a very uh, uh, unique opinion, or like a different opinion from the rest of the Palestinians, uh, from the rest of my people.
1: Can you In- share
0: yeah. So I, I. So I'll. I'll say in general first that many Palestinians feel that this agreement basically was uh, going, uh, you know, around the Palestinian issue, dropping responsibility because the Arabs are responsible at the end of the day toward the Palestinian cause and the Palestinian issue, and by the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, going and signing this this agreement, they are like uh, dropping out. They are take, They are not really taking the responsibility toward the, uh, the Palestinian people, and they are. Uh, most Palestinians feel the sense of betrayal that they are they got betrayed by Arabs when they do these uh, such things. My my opi- my personal opinion, the way how I see things, I think that you know we had for, for a long time we had been saying you know uh, we boycott uh, Israel, we shouldn't talk to Israel, we we have to you know uh, you know like all of this kind of like boycotting behavior. That actually led to nowhere. Uh, I do, now, I do understand that, you know, the reason, there are many reasons why uh, the Abraham Accords actually happened. And the the feeling of the animosity uh, or the, threat, uh, the threats by Iran, and maybe not necessarily because the people in the UAE all are convinced that, you know, we can make peace with Israel. But the government decided that, the regime decided that, and then, you know, people are just, you know, uh, some, some are supportive, some are not. I hope, I hope that this will lead, actually, I hope that it will create a chance. It will open another ch- channel of dialogue between Palestinians and Israelis, and it will bring us closer to each other. I'm just concerned that, you know, when it comes to Israel, uh, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had said clearly that he don't need the Palestinians to be the door for the Arab countries to go through them, to uh, uh, normalize the ties or to create ties with Arab countries. But basically, he can go around the Palestinian issue and, uh, and, and make ties with Arab countries. Uh, I hope that uh, this will play in our favor. And, and, and he sees that actually you cannot act that the situation is normal and you have to come back and solve the, 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 the Palestinian issue.
1: Thank you. How do you feel about the settlers, Jewish settlers in the West Bank?
0: So how, I do, how do I feel about them? Um, it's actually very complicated for me personally because I am involved in a movement, in a, in a, in a project where I work with Israeli settlers. Uh, but to put it, to, to make it simple, the settlers I work with, uh, my partners are the ones who came to acknowledge and recognize uh, the, re- the reality I live they recognize the occupation and the injustice of the occupation on, on me and my people. And they recognize that I do, you know, my national aspirations and my national rights as a Palestinian. And I do that, I do the same. Uh, so this is like, this is like if I want to simplify roots, we are about practicing our identity without denying the other side identity, with finding recognition and empathy uh, between us. Uh, we are still a very small group, of course. And the settlement movement is, uh, is not that. The settlement movement is a movement uh, that dedicated in my point of view to the destruction of, a, of any potential for a Palestinian state. Uh, as more as there are settlements in Judea and Samaria, more settlements in the West Bank, then there is no chance for a Palestinian state to be created. Or if this state was created, then it will not be a viable state. So it's uh, the settlements and the settlers are a symptom of the conflict. And they are part of the occupation that I'm talking about.
1: Thank you. From Mike Roth. Hi, Noor. I would love to visit Ramallah and Bethlehem and other parts of Palestine in the West Bank. I would like to understand the Palestinian narrative better. I am a little bit nervous about my safety. What is a good way to feel comfortable and understand the risk of visiting these areas?
0: Well, uh, thank you. I I completely understand. Uh, you know, the sometimes the barriers we have to face here in, in in this country is not just the physical barriers. It's not just just the checkpoint and the walls. It's also it's also the the fears we have in uh, inside inside us. And these fears exist for a reason. Uh, but you know, as you know, if you are afraid of something and you don't face it at some point. You will always be afraid and you will always actually, I think that sometimes you are even exaggerating your fear. Uh, and I'm saying that as a tour guide who guided so many Israelis and so many Jews uh, in the West Bank, in area A, uh, in cities like Ramallah and Bethlehem. So uh, I would actually invite you to come to visit. Uh, it's better if you know someone who can actually show you around uh, and I would say that, um, like a technical advice, um, sometimes, you know, some things we do, some things we, uh, maybe we're, uh, it's, it's like misinterpreted. Misinter- we have to understand the sensitivities of, of the conflict. Uh, I'll, I'll give example here. You know, the Kofia, the Palestinian scarf, is for me not just a scarf. It it's also has like a political and national uh, meaning. So when I put it on, uh, I am basically sending a message. When I, I'm making a message. And so when I put it on and I go to an Israeli area, uh, no matter which this area is, I, will f- I think that people there might feel uncomfortable. They feel, maybe they feel offended by that. So I wouldn't do that for the respect you know, of the people there. And because I want that, to have the experience of being there and learning and understanding the situation, so I will say, for example, the kippah, you know, that the men button like uh, on their heads, is it's it's received here as not as a religious symbol. Uh, when you see someone with a kippah, we always remember Israeli settlers, and it reminds us, therefore, with the conflict. So I definitely would like recommend you to you know walk in the streets of Bethlehem and then Ramallah, but don't like put a kippah on your head, or if you can wear a hat on top of it, that's uh, that's that's better. Don't show any Jewish symbols, not because people are against the Jewish religion as religion, but because these symbols and emblems has also been connected to the conflict and has negative meanings for many people here, and it could be uh, offending and sensitive. So other than that you will you will be fine.
1: Thank you. A question from Hannah. Thank you so much for your wisdom and insight, Noor. How would you say the relations are between Christians and Muslims in the West Bank? Also, if you have time for this, do you believe that COVID has made an impact on the conflict?
0: Okay, the relationship between Christians and Muslims, it's a very big topic, I think. Uh Listen, in, in general, I think if you ask any Palestinian, whether a Christian or a Muslim, the typical answer will be that the relationship is uh, great, it's good, uh, there is a lot of respect um, between the two groups, uh, for, and there is like uh, coexistence, maybe that's the word that we use. Some other Palestinians don't like the word coexistence because it's not... We are not like two people who live, you know, two different people who live at the same place. We are we are the same people at the end of the day. We are all Palestinians. We feel that. And we are living, you know, in our country, whether as a Christians or as Muslims. But I have a critical also point of view. I think that uh, in, in nature, because the Palestinian society is a traditional conservative one, relationships, so it's true that there is respect. It's true that, you know, each side feel respected by the other side. But that doesn't mean that uh, there are like problems of sometimes maybe racism. There are problems of um, maybe discrimination. Um, I'm not sure. I, I can't say like when I talk about discrimination, I'll, I will not say that this discrimination is systematic. I'll not say that this discrimination, you find it in the, in the Palestinian Authority. But in the in the social structure, yes, still like there is the feeling among Christians that they are they are a minority uh, when it comes to numbers, you know. But uh, that's that's a topic that we need to talk a lot about. It like uh, I'll just give a short example. Uh, if you, maybe some of you heard about like what happened in uh, in, in Jericho last week in a site called Nabi Musa. It's a shrine. Uh, connected to Prophet Moses in Islam. And um, so there was, a, there was a techno party that, was, uh, like that happened there, that took place there in a religious place. Uh, most of the society felt offended about it. But we also saw uh, at the beginning a wave of accusation from some extreme, maybe I can say, or radical Palestinian Muslims toward the Christians that they are responsible for the party and vice versa. But all of that is like, there are, I'm, say, I'm trying to say there are underlying uh, issues that we need to talk about. Uh, racism uh, and other issues like bullying, for example, uh, that happens inside our society. Um, but I, like the typical Palestinian answer is that uh, it's a great relationship, but I, I will say that uh, it's, a, it's a special relationship between Christians and Muslims. here.
1: Thank you. Are you optimistic of in the future of, a palace, of the Palestinian Authority? Do you anticipate political unity between Gazan residents, and should Israel be promoting that?
0: I'm, I'm not personally optimistic about the future of the Palestinian Authority, uh, because I see the challenges uh, at the same time, the level of corruption inside the Palestinian Authority, and that's an issue that we have been talking about for a long time. And corruption is not necessarily, I'm not referring only like financial corruption. It happens, corruption is in so many levels. Uh, for me, just a question, basically, when a two-state solution failed, a two-state solution today is not doesn't seem like an applicable solution. So, and, and we have adopted that for the last 30 years as our national goal. This is what our national aspiration is. And this is what the Palestinian Authority is built on. So with the absence of, of a two-state solution, what is the identity of the Palestinian Authority? Uh, if if Oslo peace process failed now after 25 years, so what the future of the Palestinian Authority? There are some serious questions about like the, the future of the Palestinian Authority, and for good reasons, most of the people, I can say, are not optimistic about that. Now, for the overall situation, to improve the situation, Uh, uh, A unity between Gaza and the West Bank, meaning that to have a a, a clear system, a system that basically uh, Palestinian authority that rules over the two, you know, not the two places, the two areas uh, will be better for the overall situation. If we are talking about if we are talking about establishing peace and peaceful relationships and coming to a uh, like political solution um so i think that israel if israel is like striving toward uh peace striving toward the solution it must facilitate and uh, ease the process for palestinians to find unity and to conduct elections in in gaza in the west bank and in east jerusalem especially because last year when we had talks about like having elections in east jerusalem then the Israeli government say that they are not going to let Palestinians uh, in East Jerusalem to elect, and that also create a problem on how the elections would be conducted.
1: Thank you. Um, we're getting down toward the end. Do you know if you do you have any information from your ancestors if they had preferred to live under Ottoman rule? Um, our One of our listeners, Michelle, says that she heard from Christian Lebanese that it was very hard times, but perhaps that was because they were Christians and not Muslims. Do you have any um, recollection from your ancestors on that?
0: Sure. The the discrimination uh, during the Ottoman Empire time uh, against uh, non-Muslims, that that was like at some point common and uh, affected non-Muslims. But I can say Uh, the uh, the discrimination against non-Turks, non-Turkish people became also, uh, you know, for for 200 years, that's that's a very, for example, that's one of the facts. For almost 200 years, uh, Arabic literature and uh, Arabic language wasn't taught in Ottoman schools, In, in Ottoman and Turkish schools especially, it was thought that the uh, citizens of the Ottoman Empire are classified for, for several, uh, you know, classes. The first important um, class of the society are the Turks themselves. And then after them, there will be uh, the Kurds. and Then after that, the Arabs. And then after that, the Jews. So those are like the levels of, you know, under the Ottoman Empire. So today, yes, we have maybe the feeling you hear from Palestinians that, uh, they, you know, the Ottoman Empire was part of this 1,400 years of Muslim rule that ruled over this land. And back then, you know, uh, Jews were treated nicely compared to Europe, or Christians were also uh, treated nicely. But if you dig deep, you find that there is discrimination because of religion, and more than that, there was a discrimination because of uh, of ethnicity or of national uh, identity. And that's a major reason why. In the before the First World War and in the First World War, uh, a movement of Arab nationalists was created, and the entire Arab national movement was created. So, from my grandparents' time, I remember actually from my mother telling me these stories when I was young, of you know young uh, Palestinian men uh, who would be my great grandfather now gra- my great grandfathers. Uh, they were taken to wars. Uh, uh, they were taken as soldiers to participate in the Ottoman army in, in wars for the Ottoman Empire. Uh, and that, that's how it affected the Palestinians. There's like there many writings about that, like in the, in the 19th and the 18th century, uh, about like, the Ottoman rule in Palestine, the, um, the, how it looked like and how it affected the people here. So, yes, of course, there was a discrimination, uh, not just based on religion, but also based on ethnicity.
1: Such a long history for such a small people. Um, Very interesting. Our final question is coming from Barbara Krause. She said that earlier you were talking about two things that you struggled with. One was leaving like your father, and then you didn't finish the second one. Perhaps we went into a different question. Um, Do you remember what your other struggle was and how can we get your tour services once travel is um, available again. So you can put your information into the chat for everybody who might want to find you when uh, tours are ready.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Barbara, for this question. It's uh, actually, I was like trying to share to, sh- to share with you like this chain of thoughts and, and this personal experience. And yes, I said like at some point, I start to think that I have no future, no life here. There is no stability. and I should move somewhere else. And at the same time, I have the idea of that but someone must take responsibility if I'm leaving from here and if my friends and people my age are leaving so who would remain to actually change the situation Uh, who would remain to bring a better future to make sure that there is a better future for the next generation so I I, as I'm growing up I also start to have the sense uh, I start to feel the responsibility toward the situation because I can blame I can blame the The past generations. I can blame my grandparents. I can I can blame my 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 parents, but that's their time and it's gone. And now it's our time. What can we do? And I I put myself in front of this question, and I came to a conclusion that we must take responsibility. We cannot continue blaming others, and we must take responsibility. And and those two ideas, I can say that uh, many people in my generation, including myself, are struggling with. Uh, on one hand, you can say Uh, that you want to take responsibility on the other hand you know you are tired from this situation and you want to have a normal life and you want to have a break from all of this you you think about like moving so it's like it's a dilemma that's how I describe it but I'm still I'm still committed to to being here and take responsibility and hope to bring a better future for all of us for all of the people of this land for both Israelis and Palestinians
1: thank you that was beautiful we have a A vote from someone in the audience who says that they hope that you run for political office. So you can take that as you like. Um, Thank you very much, Noor. Was there any final thoughts or remarks that you wanted to make before I close out our session?
0: I just want to thank you for this opportunity. It's always uh, very important for me to reach out uh, to you guys to talk to Israelis and to Jews in general, and to uh, build more bridges of understanding between our people, and I also hope that in the near future there will be also uh, uh, co- connections like these happening with like Israeli Jewish speakers speaking to uh, Palestinian audience and learning more about the other side and building more bridges of understanding. So, really, thank you for this uh, for this work.
1: You're welcome. It's very important for us as well. It's very important. Even the um, small details of what a wedding dress might look like or what a flute might sound like is um, all of these little details help us understand our neighbors and help us create peace just by having all of these details and all the, of the puzzle. question um anyone who is interested in getting onto the tribe tel aviv email list please leave your email um in the chat or send me a personal message and i will add you to the um newsletter we send out a newsletter so that we can help people find out about our events I am Shanifold. I've been your host for this evening, as I am on all Monday evenings that we host the Sunset Series. So thank you for having me as your host. Um, I put my contact information into the chat. I'm Shanifold. That's S-H-A-N-N-A-F-U-L-D. I have two N's in my name. Don't forget it. So thanks again to everybody who came to participate in learning in creating peace and taking responsibility for what our current generation is working on. Um, I think it's very important. We are running our Sons of Abraham series, which this was a part of. We are looking into different groups throughout Israel and territories who have a similar heritage to us, who have an ancestor who they call Abraham. So that's what our mini series has been about. Um, I'm going to hang out here just for a moment while people might have some things to send in the chat, or if anybody would like to leave their, um, email address, thank you to everybody. And, um, you will be updated about who our next speaker is going to be once we have that finalized. So thanks everybody. Have a great night. Thank you, Noor. Thank you.